everyone. I'm Brian Smith, welcoming you to a special solo edition of the Broadcasters Roundtable here on Flyers Radio 24-7. We're going to have a few of these over the course of the year. Where Jim Jackson or Timmy Saunders or one of our guys has a chance to sit down with a member of the organization and have a chat about various things, and that's what we have for you today is Jim Jackson caught up with Flyers head coach Dave Hackstall last week to talk a little bit about his roots and uh, give you a little bit of background on where he came from. Obviously, a lot of folks know he comes to the Flyers from the University of North Dakota, believe it or not, four years ago now. But a little bit more background on uh, Hack and uh, how he got to that point with the uh, University of North Dakota and how things have been different for him here in the professional life. So without further ado, we'll hand it off to Jim Jackson talking with Flyers head coach Dave Hackstall. So let's go way back to, to Warburg and where it all started. Um, population 700 about then. and That's I guess, inflated, probably uh, more it, like 550 or Is 600. it really? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Is it true, though, from, from an American standpoint, all I hear about Canadian kids is it's always about playing hockey. Was it always about playing hockey for you? Yeah, for me it was. You know, we, we, had our, we had our group of guys, and obviously in a small town you have uh, you know, a pretty small group of uh, friends that you go to school with. Uh, for us, we played hockey together. We played baseball together in the summers, uh, and that was our group. And we, you know, we did that year after year. And you went on to have a really good career, played collegiately and then also pro. At what point was it when you were playing, when you started to think, maybe I'll get into coaching, or was there something that, that happened that was just one moment where all of a sudden you said, hey, I want to get into coaching? Uh, it was something that I talked briefly about with my, uh, my coach at the University of North Dakota, Gino Gasparini. And literally, it was probably one conversation somewhere along the way. It wasn't really something that was uh, top of mind. It, it came up more so at the end of my playing career um, when an opportunity came up out of the blue. It's, kinda, it's, it's how life happens. You know, it, wasn't, it wasn't anything planned. It wasn't a job that I went to apply for. It was something that came up uh, late in the fall as the season had already begun. And it, it took uh, two or three days of Real hard consideration. Uh, I made the switch. I, I you know, I, I put the skates away uh, in terms of playing days, and made the switch and uh, and turned into coaching. You paid your dues. I mean, the USHL that first year, I know, was uh, as you say, you basically hopped aboard as the season was starting, so it was tough. I, you know, the record wasn't something that was no. great, and you went through like a ton of players. But how much did you learn coaching U.S. Junior before you, you got to? to I learned. I learned a ton. The USHL was such a great league, and I, I mean, I was fortunate to have. Uh, the guidance and the opportunity to get into it. I had great people in Sioux City. Uh, there's, a, there's a gentleman named Marty Kernigan, uh, who uh, uh, was our general manager there and, and was an absolute rock and a foundation through my time there and is a great friend to this day. Uh, I had some really good coaches to work with. Uh, I had a guy named, you know, a former teammate named Todd Jones. Uh, Young, you know, young guy at the time, Lee Mendelson, who's not so young anymore, but still doing a great job in the game. It's people like that that uh, that help you grow and figure things out. And you know, and, and for us uh, during our time in Sioux City in the USHL, we figured it out together because we were all young in the business. And then he went on to be an assistant coach back at North Dakota before becoming the head coach. There, talk about North Dakota. I don't know if people here get an idea of, of how important that program is too. Uh, the area there and, and the fact that I guess what is it like something like 80% of the population goes to the games. Well I think it mirrors you know it's, it's a much different area of the country but in many ways it, it mirrors the, um, the atmosphere and the mentality and the culture here that you know that we have in Philadelphia. It's, it's, a, it's a you know it's a real blue-collar town 
Um, and hockey is, you know, first and foremost in, in and around the community. And uh, when I had an opportunity to go back with, uh, with Dean Blaze in, uh, in 2000, that was an easy decision. After four years in the USHL, it was a great opportunity to go back. We talk about culture an awful lot here in and around, uh, you know, the organization here in Philadelphia. And, you know, that's, that's why I went back to, to North Dakota. I believed in the culture and the people that were there. And, and you know what everybody was trying to accomplish. Great run, eleven times. Uh, you know, you talk you talk about going to the Frozen Four seven out of eleven years, and a lot of winning and a lot of players who have moved on and still are many of them in the NHL. What are you more proud of, the record or the players in the NHL? Um, honestly, it's it's the associations of the people that I have there. I'll be honest. I'll, I'll jump over both of those. Um, our ultimate goal there. Is every year to win a national championship so to leave there without having a chance to hang one of those green banners up in the in the stands was you know was was a real difficult thing but we had great success we had great people great players you know and you know hard-nosed competitive players uh, that were good human beings so you know the relationships with the staff the people in in uh, you know in, in the in the university system there the people in the community that you know, like I said, it's a blue-collar town, and people would show up every night, uh, 11,500 in a town of, you know, 65,000 people. People would come from all over, so it meant something, and, and you knew that you had a responsibility, uh, and, and, you know, you better have your crap together every single night uh, because that was the expectation. I think last year it was something like 28 players that you had coached were in the NHL. What, what, uh, what kind of feeling is that for you? You're coaching in the NHL and you see these guys. Because I know you develop relationships yeah. with your players. That's very important to you. So you still have relationships with these guys, I assume. Is it, is it a little weird yeah. coaching against them? It's not. I, I mean, I take a beating from our staff here now, of course, <laughs> whenever, you know, whenever we go into a different building and there's one of our former players that's there. So that never goes unmentioned <laughs> uh, back in the coach's room. But, um, no, it's, you know, uh, you know, you think back to when you were a kid competing, you know, if you if you if you had uh, you know family members, if you're competing against your brothers or you're competing against your best friends, those are some of the most you know some of the most fun, you know fun times when you have relationships and you're in a competitive setting. Uh, you know, sometimes that that ups you any even a little bit more. So there's always you know you, there, there's usually a time you know whether it's 10 seconds, um, you know, a couple hours before the game or you know 30 seconds on the way out to the bus where you might have a chance to say hello, but um, you know, beyond that, it's, uh, you, know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm happy for those guys to, that they're having success and they're doing good things and um, going out and doing everything they can do. You're doing a lot of winning there in North Dakota. You're producing a lot of players that are moving up. Were you thinking at some point you were going to be an NHL head coach or was that something that also just came along? It's, I don't think that's something that can be really at the front of your mind. I mean, I always, um, would it be in the back of my mind? No question. Um, but at the same time, you know, the business of coaching is, I mean, you got to be so strongly, you, know, you got to be in the, in the present. You know what I mean? You have to be all in. So I never, I never felt like I was peeking over that fence at all. Um, I've been fortunate. I've been, you know, uh, only a few different places in my coaching career, but I've loved every one of them. Um, and, you know, I've, I've never been in a situation where I felt like I've, I'm looking on to the next stage. And it, it wasn't that way. Um, you know, even in, you know, in Sioux City, it wasn't that way. I got a call, I got a phone call one night. It wasn't that way at North Dakota. 
um, and it's just not the way I operate. You know, um, I'm, uh, I'm all in where I'm at. It's a great approach to have. You've been here now fourth year, so you know what being an NHL coach is like, and you clearly know what being a coach collegiately is. What, what's the biggest difference? I don't know if there's one big difference that you can place on it. There, there's a lot of differences. Um, you know, the, the magnitude of, you know, of everything at the NHL level, no question. It's, you know, it's a, it's a different stage. Um, and you have to factor that into everything that, that comes with it from uh, the level of the games, the, you know, the quality of the players, um, the media, uh, the media attention, the fan attention, everything. Everything is at a little, you know, it's at a different stage. Um, but, you know, on a day-to-day on -day basis, you know, the obvious is number of games versus practice time. Um, and some people just say, you know, they kind of take that literally. Well, it's, you know, it's double the games. It's not really that. It's not only that, you know, obviously the, the number of games, but it's, you know, I find when you're in the middle of a season, uh, there's a lot, you know, there, there's certain points during the year where you say, I wish we could just back away and have three or four practices. You don't have that luxury in the NHL. You do have that at the college level. Um, and that's, you know, that's one of the distinct differences for me. So it's not the rhythm and the, you know, the busyness of an 82-game schedule. It's the... You know, it's the lack of the ability, um, you know, when you really need some practice time to set things in place, to fix a couple of things, uh, you know, just to clear minds at times. Um, you don't have that ability. So that's one of the big differences. Yeah. It's a nice reset to have, right? You know, just there's have no it. such thing as a reset in the National Hockey League. Yeah. Uh, you have to do that on the fly, and that's why, um, you know, when you look at qualities in, in players, uh, you know, the mental toughness and resiliency of players, um, you know, of, of, a, you know, of all their talents and skills, maybe, maybe the most important. Now, I know you don't like to shine the light on yourself, Eddie, but is there at least some sense of pride with you? And you see a couple of other college coaches get tries this year with Montgomery and Quinn both getting NHL. I mean, you were the first since Bob Johnson. I mean, it had been a long time. Yeah. Does that mean, you know, that maybe that pathway has, has been opened up a little bit by you? I don't think it's by me. Uh, I mean, I was given an opportunity by, uh, by Mr. Snyder, by Paul Holmgren, by Ron Hextall. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think, you know, if there's anything that was opened up, it was by them. Um, I, I've never approached it that way. I'm not here on some type of a crusade. I want to, you know, I want to, I want to help the Philadelphia Flyers win a Stanley Cup. And I, you know, I want to be part of this entire process. Um, I believe there's a ton of good people coaching in, in all different levels. And there's no question you know, in, in the college hockey ranks, there's some tremendous coaches that, uh, that you know, have the ability uh, to coach at the National Hockey League level. Um, you know, there's, uh, uh, you know, there's no question in taking that step. There's a lot of things that come with it. And anybody that's asked me, I've told them, you better be ready for all of it. Uh, and you better, you know, you, you better be ready for that step in your life um, and be excited about it, uh, you know, with, with all the challenges and, uh, the ups and the downs and the positives and the negatives that will come with it. Um, you know, you really need to, you know, be, uh, be excited and ready in your life for that challenge. Um, the two guys that are coming in this year, they're, they're you know, tremendous coaches, great people. They've, they've been around pro hockey probably a lot more than I had been. Um, you know, Monty as a player had been around pro hockey a lot. Uh, David Quinn, had, you know, had coached at the NHL level as a as a an assistant coach. He's been a head coach in the American Hockey League, so they already have you know they have some experience at this at this level, and they'll do a good job. 
Well, it'll be interesting to see how they do, and certainly uh, you, you've done well. We talk about coaching in general, no matter the level. Uh, there's X's and O's, which are certainly important. There's also team building. Which do you think is more important? They both go hand in hand. You have to have them both. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, you can take a real hard look at our, you know, at, at our last ten days here. We had some great team team building out in Colorado. Um, you know, we went, we split, you know, in in the early season trip uh, out west in in two tough buildings. X's and O's are part of that team building. Was a whole, you know, was a big part of that, you know, a big part of that trip. Come home and you know we, um, you know, we have the the eight two loss at home in our. Um, in our home opener, there's X's and O's involved in that, no question. There's emotions involved in it, but for the next day when you rebuild, it's not nearly as much about X's and O's as it is about being a tough-minded and and strong, good team. And our guys proved that last night. And that comes from the leadership in the dressing room. That comes from your captain, a guy that like you know Claude Giroux that um, brings guys together in a you know in what's a pretty crappy time in a pretty tough 24 hours. That's where that you know that team building and that uh, that uh, that glue comes in. Interesting, because as the team goes through the ups and downs, they either grow together or they grow apart, right? Yeah. Uh, Bill Walsh used to say, the old NFL coach, that uh, his teams by maybe the three-quarter mark of the season would coach themselves in terms of the team building part of it. Obviously, you still have to switch lines and do all that. But yeah. you, do you agree with that philosophy? Every year, you have to rebuild as a team. It doesn't just because you were a good team the year before. It doesn't mean you're just going to pick up and be the same team. Things change. Uh, leadership course change a little bit. People in the dressing room change. Roles change. So you have to rebuild. You have to rebuild that strong, tight group, and that takes time. It doesn't happen in one week because you take a team bonding trip out to the mountains in Colorado. That's a starting point. Um, so yes, I agree with that. I think it's a it's a process that goes on throughout the year, and. I truly believe that if you do your job well as a coaching staff, for the most part, your leaders inside the dressing room are absolutely driving your team as you get to that, you know, the end of the second half, the middle part of the second half of the year. Um, coaching is still involved. It always is. It's, you're, you know, you've got you've to set the bar and you have to set the tone um, and, and do a good job in leadership. But inside that dressing room, that core group is what really begins to drive your team as you become successful. You know, when you talk about the organization, too, there's a coach-general manager relationship. What, what makes for a good coach-GM relationship? I, obviously, you have a good one, but what makes for a good one? Number one for me is communication. Um, it's, it's not, you know, it's like any relationship, any good relationship. I don't think you're ever going to always, I hope you don't, always agree on everything. I hope there's debate. I hope there's a little bit of, um, you know, consternation. But, you know, as you go through uh, different decisions, and, and there are so many, big and small, through a year, I believe it's communication. And, um, you, know, one of the, you know, one of the real strong points here for me, from my viewpoint, is roles are very clearly defined. Know where the final decision-making processes lie with with the different areas of our team. Um, those areas can still be discussed, but as I said, the roles, um, uh, you know, in terms of uh, those decision-making processes are very clearly defined. So when you throw in good communication every day, um, you know, you, you tend to come up with uh, 
with the right outcomes. And I'm sure that communication holds with the players. Uh, different coaches have different philosophies in terms of their relationship with players. Do you have uh, what they call an open door policy? A player can always go in and talk to you. Do you have a lot of one-on-one -on -one communication with your players? I do, but you know, you find, uh, you know, at least I find, not a lot of players want to come in for one-on-one -on -one meetings. It's more so 10 seconds, 30 seconds, two minutes, um, you know, in the breakfast room, and that's uh, that's the one area that you can never do a good enough job of. And there's so many, you know, there's so many difficult or uncomfortable situations potentially as a coach and a player um, that the best way is just to, you know, to be able to deal with them eye to eye and face to face. And, um, you know, that's an area that uh, as, as a coach, you can never quit improving at. And for me, it's, it's an area that, you know, every day uh, I know and I want to get a little bit better in because um, my job is to help the players be at their best. The more question marks that you can remove from their day, uh, you know, the better they're going to be. Can you ever be too close to players? Is that possible? There's a line. Uh, there's a line. It's it's. There's a different line there. I think with with each player, you know, it's, there's not just this, you know, a standard player coach relationship. I don't know what that is anymore. Um, maybe you know, maybe 15, 20 years ago, that was the case. I don't believe that's the case now. So. Every relationship is a little bit different, and uh, um, you know some are easier than others. Um, but that's you know that's hey, that's life. It is life, even with your kids. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> no question about that. Oh, let's have the fans go through a typical uh, day in your life in terms of what time you you get to the the rink. Uh, let's say it's a, a game day um, uh, for a home game. Let's say yeah, it, it depends. Uh, Game days are usually, a, you know, I get to the rink usually actually a little bit later on a game day uh -huh. uh, for morning skates. Um, so, you know, whether that be 7.30, uh, somewhere between 7.30 and 8 o'clock, you know, a few hours at the rink, uh, probably till noon uh, with, with morning skate and meetings and, and things uh, uh, that, you know, that we prepare uh, during the morning. A uh, couple hours in the afternoon to get home. My game days is a lot of times that's... That's one of the opportunities, actually, strangely enough, that a lot of those days I have a chance to, I have 10 minutes to go pick, uh, pick the kids up from school oh, at 3 o'clock before I come back to the rink, which is part of the routine. I usually get back to the rink, head back there around 3, 3.15, uh, just after, uh, you know, after that time frame, and then it's, it's on, it's game night. When the game ends, you do your press conferences, do you stay and look at tape or do you like to get away from that particular game for that night and then dive into it in the morning? Normally, normally at home we'll stay as a staff and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss some things and go through some different things from the night, sometimes you know, a longer time period than others. Um, normally from there, it's, you know, we, we get out of there for the night and everybody has their own routine in terms of how they get into their video. Um, whether it be that night getting started on it, or sometimes it's you know it's a it's a uh, it's a smarter uh, and more productive uh, route to go get a couple hours of sleep and get a clear mind and then you know go right back at it. So um, that that and that that routine changes depending on whether you're at home or on the sure, road. Sure, sure. Well, between that routine and then the travel, uh, it's a pretty rigorous schedule. Um, there have been coaches in other sports in this town that have actually admitted that they burned out. Do you ever have any fear of that? Because I know you're a driven guy. I mean, do you have to get away at times? I haven't thought about it. Um, no, I, you know, I, I, find, I find very short periods of time where, um, where I can get away from it. And that's, 
literally, you know, Jimmy, sometimes that's 10 minutes at home uh, in the morning uh, with my wife or uh, it's going to my kids' hockey practices, which I love being able to do and don't, don't get to do very often. Um, you know, we've got a couple Sundays coming up where, you know, maybe there's going to be a chance to go to a couple of their games. So it's little things like that where um, I really, you know, I ne you, you never turn it off during the season. But I just, you know, I really try to shut it down for that hour and, and you know, uh, be, with my, be with my kids or concentrate on that game or be with my wife. And that's, uh, you know, that's my way of doing it during the season. And no, I have no fear of, of burnout or anything like that. Um, you know what, physical, mental fatigue, that's, hey, that's, that's stuff that you manage, and uh, that's, that's part of doing anything well. So, no, I have no fear of that. You seem to love what you do. I mean, that helps. Yeah, absolutely, no question. Uh, obviously, that's, uh, I'm lucky for that. Yeah. Now, uh, so your family, I was going to ask you what you would do to get away. I know, obviously, we saw from uh, the story uh, what you do in the summer. You don't have any time for that in the, the regular season, but do you have anything besides family that you just to get away completely from hockey or just? During the season? Yeah. No, that's it. No video games? Nope, no. That's yeah. it. No, yeah. well, my son keeps trying to pull me into his different video games. but Fortnite? He, you know? Well, Fortnite, yeah. Now we're off that. Oh. Uh, we've, we've, we've had a, we've, you know, made a little switch at our house. We're moving away from Fortnite, but I think it's any video game that he plays, he wants to play against me because he can <laughs> kick the crap out of me. And, and then he, you know, he tells me how bad I am at it and yeah. tries, to, tries to help me get a little bit better. So I'm not a, I'm not a real video game guy. We've got, uh, we've got a ping pong table at home, uh, which is always fun. We've got uh, a little air hockey uh, table downstairs, and then we've got a little shooting station. Nice. So those are some of the things that, uh, that we can do that, you know, that, that are right there at the house. That's Jim Jackson talking with Flyers head coach Dave Haxtall, and we thank you very much for joining us here on this special edition of the Broadcasters Roundtable. We invite you to check out Flyers Radio 24-7, especially during times other than the Flyers games. If you hadn't had a chance to listen to the station yet, you can check it out. It's online 24-7. You can get there at flyersradio247.com. You can listen to the station now via TuneIn. You can go to uh, tunein.com. That's a big streaming radio uh, company if you're not familiar with it and you can listen to Flyers Radio 24-7 wherever you are either via your computer or you can download the TuneIn app to your phone and you can stream it through your car radio or any other um, means you have of listening to online audio. That's all there for you through TuneIn. I'm Brian Smith. Thanks again for joining us. We'll talk to you soon.